0: Hey, it's Ian Altman. My guest today is Alan Stein Jr. Alan is a phenomenal speaker, coach, consultant, author. He's best known for having spent the last 15 years working on performance of top performing athletes. People like NBA star Kevin Durant. We're going to talk about the biggest mistakes or misconceptions people have when it comes to performance. We'll discuss where you should focus your time. Should it be on basic stuff or advanced skills to get the most out of your potential, and then the specific steps you can take to up your game to the next level. You're going to learn a ton from Alan Stein Jr. Alan, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Ian. Excited to be here. Start off by telling our audience something
1: surprising about you that they may not know. Surprising about me that they may not know? Um... I'm a long time student of stand up comedy. I've been like studying stand up comedy for as long as I can remember. Um, I think it's the one of the purest forms of being an orator. And now that I'm a, a professional speaker, I, I study it to improve my own timing and pauses and pace and pitch and all the, the things that speakers need to do. But uh, I've just always been enthralled by somebody that literally stands up in front of a group of people who have paid money expecting to laugh and it's just them and a microphone. I just have tremendous respect for them.
0: Well, you know, now our audience will have high expectations for everything you're about to say, and damn, this is going to be funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I don't know about that, but we'll see.
0: That's <laughs> right. You said you've studied it, not mastered it. Yes, very true. <laughs> All right, just making sure. You've worked with a lot of people, high-performing athletes, high-performing individuals. What's the biggest pitfall or challenge that you see people stumbling across when they're trying to work on and improve their performance?
1: I believe people feel that they don't know enough. So they're always on this quest to learn more when in fact, they probably know everything they need to know to perform at a high level. They're just not doing it. So there's a gap between what they know and what they do. But I find people, it's kind of those folks that devour book after book after book, but then never put any of it into action. They're always looking for that next thing. But they don't put the current thing into action. So I, I think they feel insecure that they don't know enough when in reality I'm willing to bet they do. So, so what is it that, that gets people in that position
0: where they know what they should be doing, they just don't do it? What causes that?
1: Well, there's a variety of barriers that do cause that, and uh, most of them are tied to some, some form of emotion. So the key is tapping into that emotion and, and really having an understanding of what making that change would do. Uh, change in general is hard for all of us, you know, cause as human beings, we like our routines, you know, we like our current habits. We like what's comfortable. And anytime we have to change that, we become uncomfortable. And most people have been wired and programmed to avoid discomfort at all costs. So as soon as they try to change a habit and they feel the slightest bit of discomfort, they just go back to what they've been doing. Yeah. And I mean, I just, there's sometimes
0: I wonder, like with sales professionals, if they know they should be doing something else, uh, there's part of me that says, well, they're concerned about the unknown, or are they concerned that, well, if this new thing works, then it shows that I've been doing it, quote, wrong for all
1: this time? I mean, I, how much of that do you see? I, I think that's a very insightful point of view, and I, I think it's both. I absolutely do. Um, you, you know, they say that one of the biggest fears most people have is the fear of success, which at face value sounds almost insane but as you know uh, the more success you you achieve uh, the more responsibility you have and the higher the expectation and that's what i think a lot of people fear so
0: uh, i know that you've done a lot of work with
1: like really just
0: high some of the highest performing athletes on the planet how do they approach this whole idea of performance improvement differently than, you know, Joe Schmo or Jane Schmo down the street who's working on improving their leadership style or their sales skills or, you know, anything on that business side of the world?
1: The biggest difference is in the fundamentals that the best never get bored with the basics where I think the average Joe and Jane Schmo, as you so eloquently put, uh, are always looking for that secret sauce. They're always looking for what's shiny and what's hot and what's sexy, and oftentimes they just skip over the basics where the best understand that the fundamentals are where the true greatness lies and they invest their time into those and then build accordingly from that. The the fundamentals are the foundation to which everything else is built, uh, whereas most people, I think, skip that foundation and try to go right for the hot stuff.
0: Can you give us specific examples or stories where – just something that people will say, wow, now that I understand how that athlete approached
1: it, maybe I should approach – my business world the same way. Well, you know, it's neat when uh, most novice fans, we're only privy to what we see during a game. So you see Tom Brady have an amazing performance or a Stephen Curry. Uh, and, and that's really all that's highlighted. What we don't see are all of the unseen hours, all of the time and effort and commitment and discipline that they put in when no one else is watching. And, and I say this very respectfully of those high performers. If you saw what they did during the unseen hours, their great performances would actually be less of a surprise. You're not that surprised when Steph scores 37 points once you know everything that he does behind the scenes. And that's not to take away from his performance, but but it makes it much more palatable.
0: You've shared some examples that I've heard in the past of with specific athletes, things that you've seen in their discipline – that I think will be insightful for
1: audience. So can you share a little bit of that? Well, one of the most impactful, uh, really life-changing lessons I learned was from Kobe Bryant back in 2007. And uh, for any of your listeners that don't follow basketball closely, most people believe Kobe was the best player in the world in 2007. You know, Michael Jordan, who everybody has heard of, had had already retired twice at that point. And LeBron James was on the peak of great, uh, on the, the verge of greatness, but wasn't the player that we're enamored with today. You know, Kobe was that guy. And, you know, I've been enamored with basketball my entire life. So I had an opportunity to work a a Nike skills academy with his name on it. So I figured it was a great chance for me to, to watch one of his private workouts. And I got a chance to do that in the wee hours of the early morning. And I remember being shocked at how basic the stuff he was doing was that he was doing very basic footwork, uh, very basic offensive moves. You know, at that age, I was expecting someone as great as he was to be doing the flashy stuff to be doing the sizzle, uh, but he was doing the basics and he did them with incredibly razor sharp precision and he did them with very high levels of intensity, but the stuff he was doing was really basic. And when I had a chance to speak to him about it, that was ultimately what he said was he's the best because he doesn't get bored with the basics and that it takes tremendous discipline to be able to go into an empty gym and focus on the boring focus on the monotonous focus on the fundamentals because everything else again is is much flashier but that really was a a pivotal change in my life because it reframed how I started to approach any skill that I wanted to get better at I made sure that I started with the basics
0: so and you scare those of us who are professional speakers and have been for a long time because you are so focused and so committed to it that we just feel it's a matter of time before people want to book you and will never want to book us.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know about that but I appreciate your kind words but you know that's what's been really neat is you know uh, going from speaking in the basketball world to speaking in the corporate world it's it's kind of a new start for me and I get to take all of these lessons and put them into my own practice. So yes, mastering the basics is, is what I spend most of my time focused on as I I start this path of professional speaking.
0: One of the things that, as you mentioned this, I think about is very often seasoned professionals, whether they're sales executives, executives in general, when we say, look, you got to work on the basics. One of the things that I noticed, and I haven't thought about until you brought this up, is that when they do focus on the basics, they often kind of phone it in. So they don't, they don't perform the basics with intensity they don't look at it with precision and how do I execute it with mastery? They say, oh, so I got to practice this basic skill. So, hey, we're going to role play stuff. But you know, and partway through the role play, they go, well, and I'd probably say it differently. Instead of staying in the moment and actually executing with precision. And that story you tell about Kobe and how – and I just want to make sure the audience didn't miss this. It wasn't just that he was doing the basics. He was doing the basics, recognizing that the basics were the foundation, the most important
1: part of everything he did. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was dialed in and it's that old adage. I don't know who originally coined this, this phrase, but it's something of, you know, a player like Kobe doesn't work on the basics until he gets them right. He works on them until he can't do them wrong. And that's, that's the approach that he took and then would level up from there. So uh, it was about a two hour workout, but the first 45 minutes were focused on incredibly basic stuff. And then he would build upon that because he realizes that if you're going to have this, this really high level, intricate finish at the basket, that that's actually built by the building blocks of several basic moves put together. And then they have to be a coordinated fluid motion. But if you don't master each one of those smaller building blocks, then you can never actually perform the, the higher level move.
0: Yeah. You know, that's great insight. It reminds me, and I, this is something else I hadn't thought of until you shared this story. When I was in college, I coached a little league baseball team. And so 12 year old boys. And the team hated this, that every time we did batting practice, I required each kid, before he could swing at anything, had to be able to bunt three balls in a row into fair territory. I don't care if you were a kid who was the home run leader in the league. The first three, first three balls, you had to bunt. And the funny part is, the best hitters got to the point where they would step up there and the first three pitches would be bunt, 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 and then they'd swing away. And we had some kids on the team where half their batting practice was just trying to get those three bunts laid down. And I remember we fast forward to the end of the season and our team is in the championship game. And I've got, you know, this kid who we had groomed and he was leading the league in home runs. And we got a kid on third base. And um, it's there's one out and it's a tie ball game, and I call a squeeze. And the head coach, I think, was gonna have a heart attack <laughs> because now all of a sudden it's a squeeze play, which for people who don't know, basically the runner's running and the batter has to bunt the ball into fair territory, or at least bunt the ball, yeah. or that the runner's going to be out because the catcher's going to be sitting there holding the ball. And, of course, this kid bunts the ball, runs it at first. No one even played the ball. They just all sat there in shock. Like, I can't believe this kid just laid down a bunt that nobody even imagined could have happened. They had, like, their infield was on the basically the edge of the outfield because this kid hit more than one home run a game. He hadn't had one yet that game. But it was the fundamentals of – bunt three balls in a row that I knew every single batting practice, that kid never took more than three pitches to bunt three balls fair. And I'm like, this is easy. He's, he's going to just de kink yep. and then just bunt and that was it. And I think that in business, and I'm curious to get your thought on this, too often people kind of scratch the surface on the fundamentals because they want to get to the more advanced stuff, but the fundamentals are the foundation for the advanced stuff.
1: Sure. I mean, well, well, back to your story. I love that because it also plays to the unseen hours. You probably weren't surprised that he was able to bunt the ball into fair play because you've seen him do that when no one else was watching for bunt after bunt after bunt, where everyone else was probably incredibly surprised that he had that skill set given that he was such a, you know, an astute hitter. Um, but, but yeah, the the fundamentals are where it's at. And, and every great coach that I've ever been around, um, All preach that, And it's funny, you know, we we live in Redskins territory here in the D.C. area uh, and the Redskins, you know, have had a tough go the last uh, almost decade and they're always switching coaches. But what inevitably happens with a a football program, uh, especially in the NFL, when they lose a few games in a row, they always get on and do their press conference and say something to the effect of, well, this week at practice, we're going to get back to the basics. And that always makes me chuckle because I'm thinking, why did you leave them in the first place? If your answer to solve the problem is to go back to the basics, then why ever leave them? And the same is true in business. If you believe that your sales team needs to get back to the the basics of active listening and and asking the right questions and solving problems – Why would you ever get away from that? That should be a staple portion of everything you do. And, you know, the best coaches I've been around, every single practice, regardless of what time of year it is, there's a section devoted towards skill development and basics like ball handling, shooting, setting screens, and so forth. So it shouldn't be any different in business. The rock
0: star top performer you're looking for in your sales organization isn't looking for a job right now. In fact, they are totally content crushing it for somebody else. The folks at Peak Sales Recruiting have discovered an approach so that those rock star candidates will quickly discover that they're better off working for you than for somebody else. And if you've ever wondered what are the right questions to ask to know if I'm getting a great candidate or just someone who's going to be okay, well, they also have a sales interview guide available. You can learn more about Peak Sales Recruiting and get their free sales interview guide by visiting peaksalesrecruiting.com slash Ian. So if people are listening and they're saying, all right, I get it, so we got to focus on the basics, what are the steps that someone should take to find the, the small number of things that they should really work on? How do they uncover the things that they should be focused on,
1: which might be getting in the way of the things that they would like to focus on? Well, first, uh, they need to narrow it down to a specific area of their life. So if we want to keep this relegated to sales and to business, that's cool. If somebody wanted to expand and look at their personal life, uh, you know, they may be having an issue with their relationships. Uh, They may be having uh, an issue in their finances. Uh, They need to figure out what's an area in their life that they in their heart believe they're truly underperforming, that they could be doing so much better, but they're not. And once they've narrowed it down to a category, uh, I like to use something called start and stop Uh, They want to narrow it down to what is one habit that if I started doing it immediately, I would see a change in my performance. But then I also want them to look on the other side of the coin and ask themselves, what's one thing I should probably stop doing because it's getting in the way of me performing at my highest level. So once they have the category and they do the start and stop, uh, that will let them know something to start and something to stop. But I'm going to advise them to just pick one of those two things. Uh, whichever one they believe would be the most impactful because we want to have incredibly uh, precise focus with what we're going to change. I'm a quote nerd, and I have been since high school, and one of my favorite quotes is, if you chase two rabbits, they both get away. So we want to have really sharp precision and just try and change that one habit. Yeah, so one rabbit. (laughs)
0: Yes, we're going to change one
1: rabbit and one habit, which is hard because I'm willing to bet that that the vast majority of your listeners are incredibly driven. They're achievers. They're performers. um, They can do more than the average person. So the tendency is going to be for them to want to change a few things at once um, because they're usually pretty successful in just about anything that they do. But statistically, uh, research has proven it will be in their best interest, even though they are high performers, just to focus on one thing. Yeah, and, and I think that each of us
0: feels like, oh, I'm just focused on one thing and, and that other thing. Yeah, <laughs> So, so we, it's always, I, I do focus on one thing and, and, and some other one thing. Yeah. <laughs> and when I'm not focused on that one thing, I'll focus on this one.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: So it could even be in the, in the sales world, it could even be people who say, look, I'm going to do a top-notch job of qualifying opportunities before I pursue them. Yes. So that's that's my sole focus is going to be how do I qualify early in the process? And so they might have to have the discipline that says, look, if by the second meeting I can't unequivocally qualify that opportunity, then I'm walking away from it. Mm -hmm. And so it's having the discipline of actually walking away from it
1: rather than saying, well, maybe the third time, maybe the fourth time. Right. When this also goes back, you know, one of the other lessons from that Kobe story was just because something's basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. A lot of times people think those are synonyms, but they're not. You know, what it takes to be an elite salesperson is actually basic in theory, but it's incredibly hard to put into practice because of these disciplines. So, you know, as you just mentioned, being able to walk away from a lead that you're not quite sure is qualified is basic in principle, but we all know is not easy to do. Yeah, it's interesting when when I
0: speak, one of the things that i 'm emphatic about is doing research on the people who I'm meeting with in advance and so i I just did a um, a law firm's partner retreat and obviously did a lot of research with them and um and and earlier in the month I was working with a with a technology company, and each one it was funny because the law firm one of the partners afterwards came up to me and said. So are you an attorney? I mean, how many years did you spend <laughs> in the legal profession? And I said, well, the first job I had when I was in high school uh, or actually out of high school and college was working for a company that did litigation support for law firms. And I worked there for like a year. I wouldn't exactly say I was in the legal profession and that's been a long time, but it's more I surveyed the people in advance. I did all this stuff because you know, I believe that For example, if you're motivating salespeople and you don't understand what their world is like, then it's very difficult to help them if you don't have any empathy for what they go through. So for me, I'll ask questions like for this law firm, so tell me about a deal that you lost that you thought you should have won and why you think you lost it. And it gives me insight not into what the answer is but where their starting point is because if we're trying to get people from A to B, I got to know what A is to begin with. Mm. And and I think that's a uh, that's a valuable piece. So so I love this idea of if you chase two rabbits, they both get away. Focusing on one habit. So if people want to improve their sales performance, if it's somebody who says, "Look, I want to be better at active listening," what's the process
1: they should follow to make sure they accomplish that? Well, before I answer that, I just want to say what you just did was was actually prove this, this Kobe Bryant theory. The reason you're so elite at what you do is because your preparation is unparalleled. But I doubt that there's a listener listening right now that doesn't know that you should do research to prepare for a client when you're going to, to meet with them or have a proposal. Everybody knows that they should do that, but how many of them are doing it and how many of them are doing it to the level – that you do it. And the answer is very few. So it's not lack of knowing. Every person knows they should prepare for every talk or every client they're going to meet with, but many of them aren't doing it. Or as you mentioned earlier, they're just kind of mailing it in. They're just doing a very cursory look at what they need to do to prepare. But what you just did was you took the basics and you implemented them. And that's why you perform at such a high level. So, you know, in that example, footwork is to basketball as preparation is, to the proposal and the, the, you know, presentation that you had to do with that law firm. So that's, uh, that's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, thanks. I and mean, I appreciate
0: that. I wasn't fishing for a compliment. <laughs> no, I, I, know, just I, just, I know you weren't,
1: <laughs> but I like to hand them out anytime that I can. Cause that's uh, incredibly impressive. Okay. Tell me that question one more time. so, so,
0: So what we want to know is this, is, so what are the specific things that people should do? So a lot of people will start these tasks with the best of intentions, but not actually get them done. So I'm a top performing salesperson, but man, or maybe I'm in the middle. It doesn't matter. The idea is no matter where I'm at, I want to improve what I'm doing. Aside from that idea of, look, picking one thing I'm going to focus on, what are the lessons that you've picked up from these top performing athletes that executives and professionals can learn to help
1: improve their business. Well, one thing that unites all high performers, they're they're incredibly confident but they mix that with the humility to realize that they can still get better. That that even Tom Brady and Kobe Bryant, they know that they can still get better. Now they realize their percentage increase might be very small because they've they've achieved such a high level so far, but they know they can get better. And when you mix in that humility, you become coachable. And and that's incredibly important um, is to be open to receiving, you know, direction from others and those that can help you. Uh so I think being open, uh and in the case of sales. You know, And and this is a lot of what I've learned from you and from your book is the ability to actively listen, is the ability to ask great questions. Uh, And the only way you can ask an insightful question is if you're actually listening to what the other person is saying. I mean, you may have one or two questions that you keep in your back pocket that you know will generate some good discussion and get them to open up but after that it should be a free flowing conversation and and you know as you say that's how you get on the same side of the table as being able to ask those questions and active listening is a skill and any skill can be improved with purposeful practice. And since most people in this world love to talk, there's no shortage of opportunities for any of us to practice that skill of active listening. And it's, you know, I believe John Maxwell said it something to the effect of it's listening to connect, not listening to respond. And I know for myself, uh, that's a skill set that I've really had to work hard on over the last few years but it has helped me tremendously in my ability to coach and in my ability to, to serve clients. It's interesting. I'll very often ask people,
0: well, so gee, what would it take for you to get really good at this concept? So it'll be a concept I'll be talking about during a talk and people say, oh man, if, if, if I got better at that thing, my sales would double. And I say, okay, so what does it take for you to do that? Just practice. Okay. So how many of you practice at least an hour a week? I'm not talking about an hour a day. I'm not talking about 20 hours a week. I'm saying an hour a week. And invariably, if anything, one or two people raise their hand. And it could be a 1,000 people and one or two people raise their hand. Yeah, And the rest of them, I say, so why don't you? And people will say, well, I don't really have time, which then I always ask. So if you spend an hour a week, do you think it would save you an hour a week in productivity? And everyone acknowledges, yeah, it would. Okay, why else? Well, because – I'm, I'm really good at what I do. We're already really good. And then I always joke that, okay, so that's why I guess the top performers like Kobe never practice. Right. Or do they practice more than everyone else? And I think that part of it is an acknowledgment that it's taking the time intentionally to practice. You know, you and I both had the good fortune of working with Michael and Amy Port in their heroic public speaking program. And they place a huge emphasis on rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, well, you know, I just prefer to wing it or whatever it is. But amazingly, the stuff that we rehearse, we do way better than the stuff we don't. Yeah, what a shock. (laughs) Um, But it still makes it so that people say, oh, but if I rehearse too much, it's going to seem canned. And you actually learn that it's the inverse, which is if you're so well rehearsed that you know things forward and backwards, then you can wing it and still come back to topic. Yes. And I think that especially when it comes to sales – if people don't focus on the right things if they don't if they don't practice active listening
1: then it doesn't matter what you're doing you're probably working backwards instead of forwards for sure and you know one of the things i learned when i, when I watched you give a vistage talk and I, I absolutely love this because i saw the transfer was you're big into role playing you know especially from a sales standpoint and that is the epitome of purposeful practice when you're trying to get better at those skill sets. You know, any good basketball coach will tell you that they try to get portions of their practice to as closely assimilate to a game as possible. That the more game-like they can make that drill or that section of practice, the higher the transfer will happen when the lights really come on and the cheerleaders really start dancing. Well, it's the same thing with, with what you're talking about. The closer you can mimic what an actual interview or meeting or proposal or presentation would look like in role play, then the higher the transfer. And and I'm willing to bet if you spoke to that same group of thousand people and you asked them to raise their hands, how many of you actually role play consistently, I'm willing to bet very few hands would go up, which, which is a shame.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. There's a there's a client of mine I spoke to last week who a year ago, which was it's actually a little less than a year ago, they brought me in to speak with their organization. And at the time, 20% of their team was hitting their numbers. And a year later, he reports that 100% of their team is hitting their numbers. Now, here's the big lesson for people to get that dovetails perfectly into your message today, Alan, which is... When I ask him, what's the biggest difference in what you're doing is he says, well, we use that improv game. We have something called Same Side Improv to role play, and we do it every single week for an hour, and there are no exceptions. Mm -hmm. And he said – and people will say, oh, well, I was going to schedule this meeting with a client, so I can't do improv this week. And they'll say, well, reschedule the meeting with the client Mm -hmm. because what they're saying is these fundamentals are more important – than the stuff that's a distraction. And if we get this stuff right, we'll get a better outcome. And so it's funny because they're very good about giving me credit. And I'm like, no, no, I gave you the tools. You guys are the ones actually doing the work. And I believe it's the same thing with top-performing athletes. You can tell them, here's the drills you should run. But if they don't run them with intensity and focus, they're not going to get the
1: outcome sure. And the more purposeful and intentional and deliberate the practice, the less volume you actually need. I mean, you're talking about a sales organization that tremendously moved the needle by one hour a week. That is very doable for anyone. I don't care who you are. It's not like we're giving a prescription right now that five hours a day, you need to be involved in deliberate practice. One hour a week towards something you're claiming is incredibly important to you you know i always believe that you'll you'll see what's important to someone by looking at their schedule i mean that will reveal their actual priorities you know flip open your day planner and i'll tell you what's important to you you don't have to tell me and that's you know that's that's vital and again same thing with practice in, in a 2 hour basketball practice 15 to 20 minutes will always be dedicated towards the basics and to the fundamentals that is not something that ever gets skipped over gloss over if practice needs to be shortened for any reason that never gets cut when you're working with you know the best programs
0: that's awesome
1: so alan what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing uh, they can do everything find everything at my site which is just allensteinjr.com. Um, i'm also at Junior on all of the major social platforms awesome well we will definitely have to have you back
0: and thanks for sharing your wisdom thanks There's some great takeaways that Alan shared. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. And if you haven't already taken the time to review this and share it on iTunes or your favorite platform, please do so. It really makes a big difference. So first, remember, you want to narrow your performance areas to a specific part of your life. It could be personally, it could be professionally. I love Alan's idea of finding two things, one thing that you would start and one thing that you would stop. And that message of when you chase two rabbits, both of them get away. And ultimately, make sure you're practicing on a regular basis the fundamentals. That story tells of Kobe Bryant actually practicing intently the basics is something we can all learn. Remember, this show gets the direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover or a guest I should have on the program, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.